Hello everyone, and uh, good to be back to talk to everyone. I've been uh, busy working on some projects, so thanks for your understanding. Uh, today, I really want to, now that we went through the six paramitas, one, one of the important things that we that I'd like to share, and what I believe this podcast allows us to go deeper in, is to look into how to apply Buddhist teachings. Because again, most people only study and practice Buddhism on, you know, the, how do you say it, the belief level, in which they believe, of course, that the Buddhist teachings are correct, that they're right, they uphold them, and they believe that this is faith. And again, this is not a criticism, but as a teacher, I really want people to um, experience it because I have, and I knew the moment when my practice actually became faith. And there is no comparison to that, uh, especially in, in learning and practicing Buddhism, because from that point, the growth of one's understanding and uh, practice increases. That That's the purpose of Sangha, is to help facilitate that. Because, you know, again, when we are by ourselves, you know, and I'll give you an example. Chanting. So in the priesthood, it's very interesting because uh, once a year, and hopefully more than that, uh, priests get together, and I get to see a lot of the priests get together in Japan, uh, especially if they're overseas ministers, um, to get together for a meeting. But also with that meeting, uh, as we have requested, we always do practice. And it's really interesting because... What usually happens is that, you know, everyone, uh, a lot of the leaders in Buddhism, uh, they have their practice, their style. But it's, it's, it's fascinating that after a certain amount of time, that if you don't practice with other practitioners, something changes. Like, it, 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 re- it, it becomes so individualized that when all of the priests chant together, it sounds very disconnected, disjointed, uh, not harmoniously. And again, uh, just so you understand, I know that through our chanting in in Nichiren Buddhism, through our recitation, is actually an expression of enlightenment. So in our ability to be able to chant and practice with others is an absolute expression of the enlightenment of of the Buddha and also of our Buddha nature. So it's a great tool to, to see that when we are not able to chant harmoniously with others. And that doesn't mean uh, in the sense that everyone sounds the same. What it means is this, and I believe it comes to ego uh, and arrogance, because you know naturally those things arise in everyone. And actually through the, the six paramitas, we're able to see that and regulate that based on the idea of morality or precepts uh, and the other paramitas. And so when a lot of times the first day most priests uh, get together, uh, it sounds very disjointed, disharmony. They all have their different levels of singing, different levels of speed of chanting. It doesn't, and everyone who's, anyone who's chanted, hopefully view experience when it becomes almost like a hum. That harmonious kind of all the different uh, voices coming together into this beautiful hum that takes your mind to a higher consciousness. I mean, you can experience, you can feel it. And usually about after the third or fourth day, 
uh, everyone then regains this harmony. And, and this was really fascinating because these are also the leaders of Buddhism, that they individualize Buddhism uh, because they, they perhaps uh, don't harmonize with the Sangha and they have their own way of teaching. We all seem to have this uh, reverting back to the ego. So with that is, the reason why I'm telling you this is also a, a kind of precaution that if you are practicing by yourself, Without a Sangha, without a teacher, uh, it is very easy to believe your own press, uh, your own practice and belief. And, and that's actually not what Buddhism is about. Because it's easy to be a sage on top of a mountain when you don't have others around. Uh, sangha is the definite in, important jewel that we have to be able to communicate and harmonize our practice with other people. And that is expressed through our understanding of the six paramitas, which is what enables us to do that. So, I, you know, a lot of the times I'm seeing a lot of Buddhist leaders uh, going off on their own path with their own social justice, their own ideas, etc. And, and, and to me, uh, it, it is far from the Dharma. Because again, it's like that chanting. Now, it's not saying that their beliefs in that are incorrect. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, because I have no place to judge that. The only thing I know uh, is my practice of Buddhism, my practice and study. Because I look around in the world, and it's so easy to take ideologies and concepts that are external to us and just really buy into them as if it hasn't been said or done before. And I believe by doing that, you're ignoring the Dharma, because people are just being motivated now to understand or be uplifted by it. However, these should be skillful means automatically leading to the Dharma. So if all of these one, all these movements that are going on help people awaken something to come towards the Dharma, okay? So by looking at the overall issue of suffering and then looking for a way uh, to remove that suffering, that automatically is what will inspire someone to practice, and, and deeply, because even at the cost of your life, the severity of it, because it's really fascinating that, and that's why I don't think that these times are bad. Actually, this reminds me a lot of what was happening, uh, according to the records of the Kamakura time when Nichiren and Shonen was alive, that when when we have an, inst, you know, an unstable society, uh, that we don't know what tomorrow will look like, and, you know, every generation kind of matures through this uh, because you see different generations such as the World War II generation, etc., with their experience, how it affects and shapes them. And it's very important for people to have their ideas challenged uh, by other people and then not even just to accept. Now, again, Buddhism is not an ideology, it's not about accepting ideologies. And it's about actually seeing the emptiness in ideologies. That actually those small concepts, as great as they may be, cannot hold all things. It doesn't, uh, up, it doesn't withstand and it doesn't compare, as I said before, to the four truths of Buddhism. Uh, such as interdependence or uh, impermanence. If you have to look at the four truths, which I'll, I'll make a podcast about the four truths soon, which is good. Well, actually, in Mahayana, they use the three, but there's also the four truths. 
to look at what we're doing and what we're practicing to see if it really is in accordance with Buddhism. But it seems like a lot of these Buddhist leaders don't care if it's in accordance with Buddhism. And they're simply following uh, form, rupa, as we see with the skandhas, or emotion, or even the idea of thoughts. Uh, and, and we know, and, and, and the Buddha showed us, that those kind of uh, ideas, those kinds of pursuits are in themselves empty because it's not leading to actually fixing the problem. It, it's actually just covering the problem, like dust on the mirror. And that this is not in denial of anyone what they're saying, but it's the core. Because, again, I see a lot of Buddhist teachers that, just like we have in the Lotus Sutra, the parable of the gem in the clothing, that they were sleeping and then suddenly they woke up, but they don't realize that they have this priceless gem that was sewn in the hem of their clothing. And they go around and they look for other ways to express their uh, practice and study instead of, you know, reconnecting or going deeper from the source. So basically what I'm saying is that we, we need to come to the source. All these things are expedients to wake people up and hopefully encourage them to develop the mind of answering questions uh, and not simply making talking points or ways that they can defend themselves or make themselves feel better or important or whatever. Because as we know, in Buddhism, and this is a definite answer, that will not be the end of suffering. Okay, so just simply put, that will not be the end of the suffering. So if you're a Buddhist practitioner, you should be going towards the core. You should aspire to understand and, and heal yourself and others through the true liberation of Buddhism. And, and looking at the, the six paramitas is very important. And I, I'm using this really great example here. It says that when we practice and understand the reality of things, that we see that most ideas and that are not perfect and empty, that with the understanding that we have, we should cultivate the ability to spontaneously understand and contemplate each thought, good or evil. And that as it arises in our minds, to then realize the true nature of our existence. So, this is kanjin, seeing clearly into the mind, into the reality. And this is the goal of Nichiren Buddhism, which I've told, asked many people, well, what's our goal? And people will say enlightenment, but people don't actually have any clue what enlightenment is. That is why Master uh, Tiantai Jiri basically taught Kanjin is the concept, and Nichiren Shonen speaks about it in his uh, work, Kanjin Honzon Shou. So that when we contemplate each thought, and again, thoughts are, thoughts should not become... Uh, talking points or beliefs because Buddhism is not holding on to a group of beliefs. It's an investigation. And and again, beliefs are not always the proper thing in every situation. To have a set of beliefs actually uh, will restrain you. That's why the Buddha did not give commandments, uh, especially as we go through, uh, if you want to rehear about the idea of morality in Buddhism. It's very interesting uh, that we are able to, with our mind, see and thus realize the true nature of our existence. 
And that is what compels us to move towards enlightenment. So thoughts themselves are usually discussed in terms by Master Tiantai of thoughts about good and evil matters. It's interesting. He breaks it down very simple because a lot of times Buddhists are really nervous to talk about good and evil matters because it seems simplistic, it seems dualistic. But actually, uh, it's really fantastic because it's not looking at from the... It depends what point you're looking at it from. If you're looking at it from the idea of the ego, good and bad, that becomes dualistic. But if you look at the concept of good and bad from the enlightened state or a conjunct, which understands things as they really are in the nature of our existence, we can see what's really happening. And it's kind of funny because I'll give you an example. It's like people watching the news and getting all their life information from the news. And that doesn't matter what news you get it from. If you haven't experienced it, if you don't really understand in depth, in depth and depth and you take it as is, and then you're internally moved by that, an external thing, well, that's the example of, of suffering, is being moved and deluded by something external that is, that is impermanent uh, and not real uh, as we perceive it. We, of course, perceive it through the senses, which are covered in dust. Good matters are usually summarized through the six perfect virtues or the paramita. That's what we learn about what good matters are. Okay? And that is of charity, morality, patience, diligence, meditation, and wisdom. First one, again, and this is just a recap, but another way of looking at the paramitas, because this is what I really want people to incorporate in their life. So when you look at all the activities uh, in your life, uh, you contemplate sentient beings, that means beings that are aware, with the eye of compassion. That means we look through the lens of compassion as we look at all beings. That is without prejudice or pride. And in this, when we are able to do this, this is the perfection of charity or gratitude. Because actually, even in Buddhism, those evil people... Now, it's interesting, people want to always stamp out evil people, but that, that doesn't really change them. And also, it doesn't really look at the truth of what's happening. It's very evil, easy to label someone evil. But in, rea in reality, as we see even in the Lotus Sutra with the chapter of Devidatta, that could have been our teacher in the past that we owe great gratitude to. Or, as Nichiren Shonin saw, for allowing those people to giving us the challenge. You know, Nichiren Shonin said, these people give me the challenges in order to make enlightenment and Buddhism, how do you say physically, mentally, experientially available to people. That without the Kamakura period, uh, you know, perhaps Nijiren Shonen's message would have been totally different. But actually, he lived and had to live. Uh, and that's what allowed him to give his message, which now we still listen to. Uh, number two, in, in all activities, your activities, there are no beings whom you injure or cause harm, nor do you apprehend and judge their sinful or meritorious features. In the idea of morality, this is the perfection of morality in Buddhism, really fascinating, nor do you apprehend and judge these sinful or meritorious features. 
What does this mean? Because ultimately you can look outside and judge others. But a true practitioner realizes, and this is where compassion is generated, the empathy, the empathetic understanding of, okay, that somebody doesn't realize their potential. Again, that they grab onto an ideology, a religion, and, and that's their identity. Okay, clinging, which is a perfect example. Clinging to emptiness, to dust. But it's interesting that one looks at one's own morality. And again, with the idea of good and evil, it's, it's fascinating that one part in the Makashikan where Master Tiantai simply puts it, when you're going to go somewhere, you should automatically think, is this benefiting sentient beings? Just like the first one. Is this benefiting sentient beings with this activity of going somewhere? That's compassion. If it isn't, don't go. If it is, you should go. That's really interesting because that's a very simple way, but actually very challenging because how many people do they look at every activity they do going, okay, is this compassion? How much, who is this benefiting? Is it just benefiting me or is it benefiting all sentient beings? Is this concept or idea that I'm sharing or, uh, how do you say, believing in, is that really benefiting all sentient beings? Because ultimately, if you take the four great vows at the end of the um, uh, service, you'll see the Buddha's mission. And our minds should be in accordance with the Buddha that sentient beings are innumerable. I vow to save them all. That's the Buddha's vow. Okay? Then... In all activities, agitating thoughts do not arise in your mind. Thus, you are unperturbed and without attachment. Your senses all quiescent and unmoved. What does this mean? This is the perfection of patience. That means that when we see things, we are unmoved simply by emotion. Interesting. So... If you look at what's happening and people are just hot and bothered and, and upset about everything and, and, and fighting with everyone, those are being moved. That's why, actually, you may not have heard me say anything about the politics. Because I, I am unmoved by that. Because I know what is politics are made of. What I believe in, and I believe is the source... And this is coming from a place of all sentient beings. Is how to heal people. How to allow people to live upright. And then, as it says in Nichiren Shonen's writings, when all in unison chant Namumyo Horenge Kyo, then the howling wings will stop. And the great disasters will stop. That means the disasters caused by our karma. So that's in itself a metaphor. People are thinking... Okay, the creation of the world. But we actually have a influence on the world. Okay? And so therefore, we, when agitating thoughts arise, they do not arise in the mind. You are unperturbed and without attachment. I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you were, were, were perturbed or attached to a belief or something that moved you externally? And again, this is very simple. Buddhism is not by being moved externally. Because all of that is, as we know with the five skandhas, a misinterpretation in some way. It's, it may give temporary relief, 
but it's not gonna it's not gonna solve the problem. Okay, so your senses are all quiescent and on mood. Quiescent. I believe it's called homeostasis, where we are in our true mind, the mind of awareness. That is patience. And then number four, in all of your activities, you are not aware of specific physical actions like the raising or lowering of your feet. All activity and understanding are spontaneous. There is no sequence of first having a concept and then realizing it. It's interesting. How many people are following this sequence of having a concept, which they may get from someone else, a belief, and then realizing it? That is not the sequence of Buddhism. If you have to have a concept and you make up an idea and then you realize it, that is not the proper practice of sequence of Buddhism. It must be spontaneous. All activity and understanding are spontaneous. It comes from a true source. That is the Buddha nature within one's own mind. That is Kanjin. Seeing things as they truly are. Not being influenced. And I feel and I see Buddhism in the West and all over the world being severely influenced and losing its message, losing its purpose. And almost, it seems, all Buddhists are dumping the Buddhist practice for these beliefs as if they had not really understanding. That's truly the Dharma ending age. They've thrown the Dharma away. They've given it up. They may chant Namamyo Kyo or any other sutra or any other practice, but they gave it up. You know, because they raise a different banner. It's interesting. Nietzsche and Shonen had a really great letter, which is really, uh, and I'll try to quote it from my memory, that in order to, ta- to attain enlightenment, to go forward on the path of enlightenment, one must lay down the banner of arrogance, cast away the club of prejudice. That means... Which banner are you holding up? Are you raising the banner of which is beyond ego, beyond self, that encompasses all sentient beings? Or are you holding up a different banner? That is where one sees the faith. And only you can answer that question. Okay? So in all your activities, you are not aware of specific physical actions, like the raising or lowering of your feet. All activity and understanding are spontaneous. And there is no sequence of first having a concept and then realizing it. You realize that all dharmas, all phenomena, all things, do not sequentially, uh, sequence, sequentially arise, abide, and then perish. This is the perfection of diligence. So it's interesting. Most people would misunderstand diligence. And think that, okay, I I will get to diligence. But diligence is actually the spontaneous, which is actually where the energy comes from. And a lot of times diligence is seen as energy. And that is naturally brought about when one uses the energy efficiently. Just like as Master Chantai was saying, if you shouldn't go and it's not for the realization of all beings, don't go. Do something else that helps all sentient beings. You know, and this isn't just priests. This is all Buddhists. So if you say, well, priests should just do that, that's not Buddhism. We're all Sangha. You should perfect all of these practices. And in all of, number five, in all of your activities, you do not think in dualistic terms of mind and body or samsara and nirvana. 
There is no dharma phenomenon which you dwell on or become attached to. You do not savor the bliss of nirvana nor the kavort in samsara. This is the perfection of meditation. What this means, again, is that not being moved by external things, not being moved by thoughts or beliefs, either that in your idea and belief of nirvana or your fear and hate of samsara. That all phenomena that we see, we understand within the context of Buddhism and impermanence. That the emptiness. And that how we perceive it, we miss the point. And again, just like as I was saying, people who do not practice together with the idea, the holistic idea of Buddhism and the idea of Sangha, ultimately will always go off in their own direction, which is usually the direction of ego. Not usually, is the direction of ego. And then uh, become unable to harmonize with others. And actually, they steal Buddhism to make it their own. Again, just like all talking points, they use the sutras to justify something, but usually they don't correctly understand it. And they don't rely on the Dharma. As it says in the Lotus Sutra, rely on the Dharma even at the cost of your life. Give your life, everything, to the Dharma. Then, next, in all your activities you realize that the senses, sense organs, and so forth are empty and quiescent, and you are neither in bondage nor liberated. This is the perfection of wisdom. As it is, that we wish to have people This is the goal of wisdom, that we realize we're not in bondage nor liberated. All of these concepts that people are saying about the idea of liberation or bondage. Bondage is is samsara. Belief, even, in the concept, as they are saying, uh, the idea of what you consider liberation is not true liberation when you put it against the teachings of the Buddha. Because even if you are a free person in your life, just like moving out of your parents' house, doesn't mean, you know, in your mind you're free. And it's, you know, as I always quote, you know, Bob Marley said, you know, you have to free your mind of mental slavery. That, I believe, is what's talking about this idea. Mental slavery is our beliefs, our ideas that keep us bound in samsara. So in this of the contemplation of evil rather than good, this was a very important idea of analysis. So the reason that is that evil thoughts are the usual fare of mundane people. Of this mundane world is usually based in evil thoughts. And they are the most accessible to one's contemplation. So what Master Ji is saying, in that idea of mundane evil thoughts, that is where we need to be mindful and aware. And that is where our true concept of contemplation comes from. That's what we understand. If a, if a desire arises in your mind, do not ignore it, but take it by the horns as it were. That means to challenge beliefs and ideas that come in your mind. Take it by the horns. Challenge it. Contemplate it. 
And that contemplation of the idea or desire in this fashion will ultimately show that it is empty of substance and thus conquered. Because most people hold on to these ideas as if it is reality. And without the perfection of wisdom, even a good thought that is proper at that time then becomes something else. Because it was insubstantial, not based on the Dharma. And Master Tiantai used a great example. He said it's, it's the same as going fishing. So a desire would be like the fish and your thoughts would be the fishing line. So if the, if the, strong, if the um, fish is very strong, the desire, the thought is very strong, and your line is weak, that means your practice, it cannot be forcibly pulled in. You won't be able to get the fish. But if you let the baited hook enter into the fish's mouth and allow it to swim around, diving and surfacing freely, then before long it can be hauled in. Interesting. That means an unreactionary mind, one that sees true kanjin, realization. When we contemplate in the way that we're talking about, there is no perceiver of the sense object and no subject opposed to the objective world. Yet both are illuminated clearly. So with Buddhism we can illuminate reality. That is the only way. Ideologies, beliefs, concepts, ideas, all of that is in some way, even though it may seem really wonderful at that time, only you through your practice of Buddhism can see if that's in accordance with the practice. And again, that doesn't mean necessarily, and this is where people fall back on the concept of Nichiren Shonen. They use Nichiren Shonen's strong character to say, ah, this is justifying this. But again, to speak for Nichiren Shonen, I would be very careful. Because you have to ask yourself, Nichiren Shonen's writings weren't fully available to the general public until, I believe, about the middle 1800s. So what did Nichiren Buddhism study and get its teachings from? If most of the practitioners never had read a single letter of Nichiren Shonen. Because Nichiren Shonen based his teachings on and his practice and his life solely on the Lotus Sutra. That is why his banner says Namu Myoho Renge Kyo. And I leave you with this contemplation. What does the banner you hold up say? And from there, you can make your own uh, contemplative understanding, awareness, and see if it's based in wisdom or ideology. That is most important. Again, I don't judge because all beings, I can see their Buddha nature, their potential, myself included. And through awareness is the only way, through the awareness of the true Dharma, Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, do we become sensitive, aware, and awakened to reality as it is. And I believe that if you are sincere 
in solving the world's problems, in, sta- in, over- in allowing people to overcome suffering. There is no choice for me. There is only one way. Even at the cost of my life, I follow the Lotus Sutra and the Dharma. So thank you very much, everyone, uh, for this wonderful conversation. And I hope you have a good rest of your week. Namo myoho renge kyo.